0: Hey, welcome to Wednesday. It's July 29th. Greg Brady in for Bill Kelly, but make no mistake, you're, you're at the right place. It's the Bill Kelly podcast. Manny Figueroa is the director of education at the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. We don't have an announcement yet from the province, but a lot of boards are having to formulate plans that they hope will mesh, that will go in concert with what the province's education ministry comes up with. So what does it look like in our region You'll find out from Manny as we chat about that. Anthony Fury joins us. We'll go back to the Kielberger testimony and how much this has hurt the Trudeau brand and whether it's going to hurt the Liberal Party. There's no election in sight, despite the fact they have a minority government. But the tone deafness is the criticism, even from people criticizing Justin Trudeau and even from people who voted for Justin Trudeau, not once but twice. And we'll talk to Marissa Lennox as well from the Canadian Association of Retired People as long-term care it's back in the news. It never really should have left, but it's still an important situation, and we've got to find solutions in a big hurry for our elderly and those that need that kind of care. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Hashtag safe September is trending on Twitter. It's a bigger deal than anything to do with the Maple Leafs last night or all the Houston Astros players that are getting thrown at in Major League Baseball. Uh, You know, a global pandemic doesn't change the fact that they cheated to win the World Series. That's what the L.A. Dodgers were telling them last night. So, it's look, it's the biggest conversation point. I'm talking with a parent yesterday about school, and, you know, the classrooms are one thing. The learning is one thing. What about the transportation? Like, it's one thing to say, hey, kids, if you can, walk to school or bike to school. Well, there's an age factor, and then there's going to be a weather factor. Our climate's going to change quite significantly between now and, I don't know, Canadian Thanksgiving even. We know this. It's always the case. Uh, I'm very pleased to welcome in uh, the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board Director of Education. Uh, he is Manny Figuerito. Manny, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, my pleasure, Greg. Thanks for having me. Totally. You're you're hearing, I bet, a ton from parents. What what would you say the most common, before we get into some of the specifics about what, what the board is hoping for um, from the government provincially, what are some of the biggest questions uh, parents have uh, for you um, as a director of education?
1: Well, Greg, I've heard a lot from parents. So we have uh, individual questions to, uh, we did a thought exchange survey where we had about just under 11,000 parents, and, so number one thing is safety. Right? We're hearing around safety um, and how will the, the school board ensure their safety plans. And also, number two, they want to know what model we're going to be in. Because we know, you know as a parent of two kids myself, I know when I have younger kids, I need to plan for September. I need to know, uh, you know, will my school children be offered the opportunity to go to school every day? Will it be an alternate day? so parents can plan for september around their work schedule so those are the two big things uh uh, we're hearing right now from parents
0: and it's such a struggle because i think just just like the stages and and how we've gone with with reopening so much is based on geography and so much is based on the demographics and, and the age of your kids like it reminds me of talking to older parents who are saying oh i'm you know i'm paying for two kids university tuition this year and i'm thinking that's that that stinks for you i'm not like my kids could stay at home and and get their way and muddle through su- certain days of the week manny but i know a lot of parents if, if you've got a six-year-old a four-year-old and a three-year-old you can't it's not sustainable it's not even possible for a week to pull it off
1: yeah greg what you're identifying really uh, you know um we've been talking about the five guiding principles for us that as we look safety number one we're trying to minimize disruption. So how do we keep the regular school day routines as much as possible? Because we know how important routine structures are for kids. And also because the ministry has asked us to prepare three scenarios, you know, return to mm-hmm. full conventional, an adaptive hybrid model, or completely remote, we want to build scenarios that allow ease transition between the three scenarios while we're trying to honor the collective agreement of our staff but also look at fiscal responsibility. We know there's some additional costs to date that we've already had to incur.
0: Is it so obvious and observable that pulling off, if you will, making a successful uh, fall going into winter for high school just seems easier than elementary school? Almost, you know, as it were, the older the child um, the more likely distance learning is, the more uh, understanding that, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds can be about it. And, and if anything, it's a, it's a precursor to how university lectures will be. You come, you learn, you, you might go home uh, after a half day. Is it is it just make more sense than a teacher trying to navigate a grade one class of 25 kids?
1: Yeah, Greg, well, you identify the conversations I've been having with many partners, public health and even McMaster like, uh, Children's Hospital, Hamilton Health Science of the Day. The, the three things that are always trying to be balanced public health child development you know the development stages of development of child's in which is what you're identifying and, and also the economic impact for families to get to work so um so as you identified our model looks at that to say um a rotational model where students will come face to face uh do one subject for about a four week block and then return home and, and have a structured time where they go online for the other three courses And then we rotate that where subject two is face-to-face. So providing each uh, subject an opportunity for face-to-face and uh, online. What's more complex, though, in secondary um, is because um, one of the public mitigating factors is around cohorting. So, you know, keeping students as much as possible in the same group. Well, elementary lends itself to that because when you're assigned to a classroom, you stay with your students in your class for the, you know, most of the day. When you're in secondary, as you know, you're taking four subjects, you are rotating subjects, but you're also then introducing different students into different classes throughout the day. So from the secondary level, it's more complex from the from cohorting perspective. But yes, there's a simpler factor because students are more independent uh, than, they are, than the courses they are uh, in, a, in a kindergarten classroom, as you've identified.
0: Manny Figueroa is our guest on uh, 900 CHML, 980 CFL in London as well. He's the director of education at the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. Greg Brady and for Bill Kelly today. Do you, um, we played that clip of Dr. Fisman coming in who suggests that masks um, be not just recommended but mandatory, maybe for teachers and students alike. It is more difficult, no question, for four, five, and six-year-olds. Is it possible that your board will will recommend or mandate uh, masks in the classroom come the fall?
1: So that's a discussion we just had last uh, this past Monday with our board of trustees as we presented our report. We are waiting for some uh, ministry direction, and you can see there's papers out there from SickKids uh, explaining around the importance of math, but all understanding, you know, the, le- the the level of development of a child might be more complex. But as I heard your doctor uh, speak before, that mm. you know we can teach our children. We have to teach them new routines. So what we have to date. Uh, we have purchased a medical grade masks for all our teachers, uh, our educators, staff, in school. Um, and what we have also purchased, based on the ministry guidelines from June, is we know there's situations where two-meter distancing will not be possible. So in those cases, when we have um, educational assistants or early childhood educators or teachers, uh, or even our principals who have to work closely with children to support them, uh, you know, with their personal care needs, we know that then we have to provide masks for that, uh, those staff and for those children. But in terms of uh, masks for all staff, one of the things we have uh, asked as the board, trustees have asked and have asked of me, and we've asked of the province, is a consistent approach across this because mm-hmm. um, we need some consistency and two things we've asked for consistency. One is around masking, what's the requirement, what age, the type of masking, uh, because there's huge costs to that, but it's worth the cost to keep um, uh, this virus from spreading and to have students return to school. And the second thing is around a consistency uh, in approach around outbreak management. So people ask me, well, can you guarantee me there'll never be uh, a case uh, that someone will contract it They say, we need to prepare that there will likely be a case, whether it's a staff member or a student. Our commitment is that we're going to put the protocols in place, uh, the safety protocols. Public health has been excellent working with us as a partner, providing, every, reviewing every sort of procedure. Uh, we're going to have to do a lot of training. As you know, we have three yeah. PA days before students return. One of the reasons for that is, you know, we have to support staff in that training and, 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 and new routines. So uh, it is a possibility, but we're hearing that the ministry will make some kind of announcement either this week or next week Um around the scenario we'll be in, uh, and Mm. sort of the expectations on masking. So we're prepared, and I know the province has procured uh, sort of a a central procurement process to support boards as well.
0: That's a thorough answer, and I think that's encouraging to parents. I will say, I think parents are entitled to ask you, um, you know, tough and difficult questions. I don't know that it's fair for parents to ask you to guarantee there won't be a case. Like, we have to be ready for any scenario. That's a difficult thing for a you know, for, for, for anyone to guarantee, isn't it?
1: Well, listen, yeah, we, you know, I think parents should be asking these tough questions, and the tougher these questions are, um, the better prepared we will be. So mm. um, we have committees, uh, we've, we've done some parent surveys, we're working with our union partners. Uh, it's been a busy summer, but uh, an important one. Uh, I remind people, there's not a playbook, right? There's not a previous playbook on September startup in the pandemic, but um, what we need to do is have a real clear phase approach, step by step, and work with our partners. And I, I, like I'll mm. say, uh, McMaster Children's Hospital has reached out to us to support us. Um, public health has been outstanding. And, and we've been talking to our, our Catholic board uh, around some consistency, including mm. <laughs> transportation, because we share a transportation consortium and we have to plan together around that, mm. around that challenge as
0: well. Manny Figueroa, our guest, uh, director of education for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Um, last thing, what is your confidence level like in the provincial government? It, we're, we've all been learning on the fly here. I, I do. I would say, uh, I, you know, I know, you know, teachers and sometimes the unions. It's been very contentious in the last year uh, with strike days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I think if they if they'd announced a plan too soon, Manny, I think they would have been harshly criticized for it. But but now's the time. I you know, it's one thing to announce it 12 weeks in advance. But when we get down to three or four weeks, and as you said, you, you've got you know PPE to plan, you've got teachers to that will have to go through sort of a, a new code of how to teach. Um, time is of the essence right now. What's your confidence level in them?
1: Yeah, well I'll tell you, they've been. I know they've been listening. It's from a director's perspective, uh, with the deputy minister, we have weekly teleconferences every Thursday, and the minister uh, Lecce himself has a weekly conversations every Monday with chairs and directors. And what we have said is that we are in the eleventh hour. So, um, you know, senior teams and board staff have been preparing plans to the best of their ability. But there are some key decision points we need now to be ready with the right resource. And one of those examples is being masked. And secondly, from the parents' perspective, is what model will we be in? Uh, I know they're looking to see if the co- you know the COVID numbers are continuing to decline as they as Ontario opens up in phases. But we are in a critical point that families, I've been getting more emails from families saying, do we know I need to make daycare? My employer is asking me. So we are the 11th hour. They have been listening to date, but we're very hopeful there'll be a decision uh, sort of, uh, this week or no later the next week.
0: That's the hope. Hey, enjoyed our conversation. I think parents appreciated it too. Thanks very much, Manny.
1: You're welcome, Greg. Thank you.
0: Manny Figueroa, uh, Hamilton Wentworth, District School Board, Director of Education. <laughs> You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to talk about the Kielberger's testimony, if I can call it that, yesterday uh, with Anthony Fury in a sec. I love what Paul Wells wrote in McLean's, and I want to read it to you. And he's writing this about the liberal government. And yeah, this if you voted for Justin Trudeau, even if you didn't, you tear your hair out. I want to read this quick. They consult, but they never listen. They proclaim the value of evidence-based policy and then pick a judicial process, an NGO to administer a social program, a governor general without bothering to seek out evidence. When you complain, they threaten you. What if the other guys were in power instead? As if the other parties were a walking license to govern badly. And here, I, here's the two sentences that I really think resonate, and they should resonate with you if you're listening. I really believe the communication style of these governments, particularly the one here in Ottawa, is at the very heart of its current malaise. If you can't explain yourself, it may be because you're doing something indefensible. If you won't even read questions before omitting non-answers, it may be because you haven't begun to think. If the only comfortable conversations you ever have are with five or six people in your office, it may be that you've forgotten what you might have ever known about the country. Think about your personal life for a sec. How often do you check yourself? and how often does someone check you okay marriages are hard work they're not easy to make them work and oftentimes i've done it and i've certainly had it done to me i've been married 16 years my wife will say i need you to pick it up here could be something around the house it could be focusing on finance it could be a difference in how you're raising one of your kids but you get checked it's not just yeah you're doing a great job you can't like you just can't surround yourself with yes men and women and ever uh, you know ever hope to evolve and i worry with government I worry, and we're seeing it in the states. We are. We know we are. You're just seeing people vote against somebody as opposed to for somebody. Like I understood why people voted for Pierre Trudeau on mass, Brian Mulroney on mass, Kretschmann on mass, and I understood the the charisma of a Ronald Reagan or a Bill Clinton. But it wasn't. Oh, I got to vote. I, I don't like him, but I got to keep Jimmy Carter out. I don't like him, but I. We're gonna. We're seeing that way, way too much. So we're lacking a lot of leadership on all sides of the political fence. I say that and I bring in a gentleman I respect a lot, read him all the time in the Toronto Sun, uh, and have him all on all the time in Toronto. He is Anthony Fury. Welcome to Stage 3, Mr. Fury. I, I ask, you know, you are a bit of a fitness freak like me, so I was going to say bar or gym first, but you're probably getting enough uh, workouts outside. You don't need to go indoors.
2: You know, we're talking now from uh, an undisclosed uh, bunker in rural Ontario where <laughs> I've been hanging out. So I'm actually doing uh, a lot of, like, digging ditches and so forth and moving wheelbarrows away when I'm not... Uh, uh you know appearing on the shows and writing the columns and so forth but Greg can you believe it professional sports is back we finally got games to watch and there i was sitting in the basement watching a 4 hour committee testimony come on kill me now i can't believe
0: this is happening i know yeah they've they've uh yeah it's wonderful timing for the government but i don't think there people are going to be terribly distracted look um the, I, I thought oh where do i go i thought the Kielbergers came off uh, smarmy. I don't use that word terribly often. I, I right. thought. I, I thought if I get a chance to, if I get accused of something, Anthony, if you get accused of something and it's personal, professional, whatever, I got 44 hours of time to spend uh, explaining it, uh, accounting for it, and defending it. And these guys from 20 minutes in just looked at each other like we're going to make a mockery of this, and and we don't deserve to be here, and we don't want to be here. It's your charity. It's your multi-million dollar charity. You don't want to work harder to clear your name? I didn't think they took it seriously. And I think it was quite brilliant
2: of them to initially say, oh, we can only do one hour, and then fine, we'll agree to do four hours because they told us everything so much so that they told us nothing. And there really wasn't all that much content in those four hours. Greg, I, I think you said something very interesting on the lead. in when you talked mm-hmm. about how a lot of us are used to, to, to being checked, be, to being told by, you know, the spouse, the friend, the coworker, whatever, well, hold on a second. I'm not too happy with this or that. And, you know, sometimes we push back other times we go, all right, honey, you know, you're right. I'm mm-hmm. going to listen. I'm going to try and change. And, and I think, you know, whether it's Justin Trudeau, Justin Bieber, or Mark and Craig Kielberg, or I think one from the age of twelve years old, you've you've been living in a sort of semi state grace where generally not too many people tell you That your doo doo smells, which is a very different way than the rest of us were raised. I think these situations become very hard uh, for for these people. I feel like Justin Bieber is actually the only one who's publicly stated, yes, you know, I had some, you know, in my youth, I I had, uh, you know, disproportionate views of uh, my state of grace and have now been brought back to reality. I I think uh, the Kielbergers and the Trudeau's, they they were kind of raised in, in different auras, I think, than the rest of
0: us. I think so too and I said out of the gate um I don't have a problem with with people who make money I don't have a problem right. with with rich people I don't have a problem with people like part of the reason you work so hard sometimes is cuz you want to make a great life for your kids and there's nothing wrong with that but it's the it's what do you what do you do outside of your own household outside of your own bank account to influence others to unfairly influence others to make it a you know make it a do you do enough to make it a level playing field and th- those two guys yesterday I just thought made it obvious that they thought the whole thing was a farce. And and uh, and and I clearly there's there's people in there trying to score political points. We've seen that from the beginning of time from Watergate. Okay, we've seen that from the beginning of time. But I thought, you know, you're here for four hours. Like you said, you're not doing anybody a favor here. You should be begging to explain yourself if you've done nothing wrong.
2: And and Greg, I I think to your point about the scoring political points. Yes, there's a major problem with Bill Morneau and Justin Trudeau, you know, not seeing why they should not have been approving this contract, uh, that the connections are just too much. But I I do think this is not an Ottawa political bubble story. I think this is more of a societal story of this very large operation that, you know, Canadians, Greg, you know, at their core, they're they're pretty decent folks uh, from, you know, many different walks of life, and they take charitable giving pretty seriously. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, per capita compared to other countries in the world, we're a pretty generous country. Uh, We take volunteerism pretty seriously, and uh, We Charity, I think, for a lot of people, was inspirational to many. And now they're looking at it and they're seeing this tens of millions of dollars of uh, of uh, real estate holdings and these odd voluntourism things or Bill Murdo's going on five star trips, and they're going, "What? What was this? I thought this was about you know the the power of getting together and as a community we can do good." And yeah, of course there was some of it, and I think a lot more in the early years. And now they go, "Wait, we we let this." organization pretty much co-write curriculum and school boards all across our country and, and all of this. And I, I think societally, people are feeling kind of icky about this. And then the nonprofit and the charitable sector, they actually kind of have their backs up because they feel that this story is making all of them look bad
0: anthony fury our, our guest um can it is really difficult because i think the only one that can recognize this is justin trudeau himself and and i think there's people that are staunch defenders of him who who support him who voted for him not once but twice who are just maddened by the process now anthony and and want him to get better people around him. but he's and people who will give him a sense of checks and balances that he just seem non-existent right now. But he's the only one. He really, truly is the only one that can make that happen.
2: Uh, no, he certainly is. And you know, people used to say, "Oh, Justin Trudeau's not running the show. He's got puppet masters. It's Gerald Butts. it's others and so forth. No, I have something scarier to uh, suggest to everyone else. Justin Trudeau is running the show. Yeah, he is in charge. He is in control. And uh, when you talk about, you know, being checked by others, listening to others, uh, I was living in Ottawa back when he made that decision as Liberal leader to abolish senators from the Liberal Party. And people said, oh, so brave and so forth. No, I was I was in the building that day. Senators did not actually prove of this, and they found it very bizarre that Trudeau was basically saying anyone with institutional memory, any old guard, you know, sure, liberal sponsorship scandal, not a good thing, but there's, you know, a lot of people who have been around in the Liberal Party for many decades, they're not hyper-partisan, and he said, I don't care, this is just me and, you know, my millennial brat pack, and we're ruling the roost, everybody else is booted, and I think we're seeing uh, the fallout from that.
0: Anthony Fury, our guest, you you sometimes look at the U.S. system and say, uh, and especially now, obviously, as many flaws as it may necessarily uh, have and as much political turmoil as there is in the U.S., there's something to be said for being able to criticize your own. Obviously, we just saw Doug Ford kick an MPP out of caucus um, last week uh, for criticizing um, the, the bill of emergency powers. But there is something to be said for for somebody being able to a democratic senator being able to to criticize you know right. and and vote for impeachment against Bill Clinton or someone to say, yeah, the the war in Iraq is wrong, George W. Bush and I'm still a Republican. I don't know what like uh, you you wish you do wish there'd be that that system doesn't seem to allow the accountability for MPs as a group or individuals to sort of name check Justin Trudeau even privately and and keep their livelihood. And that's wrong. Mark
2: Cuban said that Kevin O'Leary told him the reason he wanted to run to be Canadian prime minister is it is one of the most powerful positions outside of a dictatorship in world leadership much more powerful than the American president. Obviously, you know, Canada is not as powerful as America, but the, the role of Canadian prime minister is way less checked than the role of, say, an American presidency. You really kind of control things. You really rule the roost entirely, and, and we're seeing that now. What will the consequences of We Charity be? I'll tell you. Both Bill Morneau and Justin Trudeau will have been found to have violated a couple articles of the Conflict of Interest Act. It's a law, but it's not a criminal code law. They're both going to be fined two hundred dollars, and they're both going to pay it, and that's the end, and this is done. I mean, that's really quite something.
0: Do you think the liberal? We, we've often seen um, many, many times we've seen uh, a party uh, stay with a leader even when they're in power, um, and, and they're just a dead duck. We obviously saw it here right. two years ago when you know everybody I spoke to that's a card card carrying liberal said if Kathleen Wynne could just get out of the way we got a we don't have a shot at re-election uh no matter who the leader is Anthony but we got a shot at a hell of a lot more seats and and we could make that kick. Kim Campbell was a sitting duck in 1993 so it goes both ways do you think the liberals will have enough power have enough oomph to push Justin Trudeau out of the leadership before the next election comes in uh, if it doesn't come in the next couple of years and we are waiting till 2023 2024 will there be a new liberal leader
2: no because to my point about um about the Senate, Justin Trudeau banished the guard, which would have the power there. There's also not delegated conventions power. Uh, They actually rule. And and to your point about Kathleen Wynne, look, Jean Chrétien and Dalton McGuinty both stepped aside, obviously uh, facing, Chrétien facing a lot of pressure from Martin, but they allowed that sort of, Docido dance to go on, that gave their tenure, well, not a lot of time with Martin, just 18 months, but it gave Kathleen Wynne, I guess, you know, five, six years and so forth. Kathleen Wynne didn't step aside, and I don't believe Justin Trudeau will step aside either, because they are both true believers. I mean, Dalton McGinty and Jean Chrétien are much more political animals, and they were still uh, part of sort of the political system and knew that the party was greater than the individual. Uh, I think Kathleen Wynne and Justin Trudeau are, are, are very different animals in that regard.
0: So this, the scandal itself, what, is it more damaging to the Liberal Party? Is it more damaging to the, uh, I guess I would call, the Trudeau brand at this point? And, and I'd reference, uh, yeah, his father in in the brand. There are people who adored, uh, 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 even if they didn't vote for him every time, the first time around or the second time around, adored Pierre Elliott Trudeau as part of our history, who are, you know, horrified is a strong word, but they're incredibly disappointed by what's, what's happened to the Trudeau name in the last couple of years.
2: Well, you know, in 1968, you had Trudeau mania. Uh, It was a majority term for four years. In 1972, Pierre Trudeau went to bed thinking that he had lost. And then they recounted uh, one or two seats, and they found, okay, he was still in just by a hair with a minority. Same situation we're in right now. As you know, Justin Trudeau lost the popular vote. More people voted for Andrew Scheer. And then in 74, two years later, Pierre Trudeau goes on, wins his majority, wins another majority after that. And that's what consecrated his legacy. So uh, here's something. People may want to make sure they're sitting down. They might shake their coffee right now and spill it everywhere. Justin Trudeau's legacy may just be beginning, my friend.
0: If this scandal happens last year around this time, and, and the blackface scandal, which I think was early September, if the, and the blackface scandal does not happen— is this, in a way, a more damaging scandal? It's current. It involves an awful lot of money. And again, I, I can't, you know, reverse uh, the, you know, the time-space continuum because we are in the midst of a global pandemic, which I think has amplified, to be honest, criticism of of this deal because the the pandemic's the reason that this program was going to be put forth. Um, how, like, it, would this be way, way more politically damaging in an election year?
2: I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot of components of Ottawa bubble component to this, which which the regular folks sort of check out of here. Um, you know, I think it's a big story and I, I think it's wrong, but I think we see more of these mounting uh, repeatedly. And if the blackface thing didn't do it for progressive voters to step away, if people... If progressive voters bought the Trudeau thing that, oh, the blackface scandal was a learning opportunity for all of us and how we can all be better and so forth, I I don't see what they won't take hook, line and sinker. So I think swing Mm -hmm. voters, which is what gave Trudeau his original majority, that these things, you know, eventually there's going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't think it's one story. I think it's the drip drip. And uh, that tap is still pretty leaky. So I don't know if it's this one. I think every scandal he loses 5, 10, 20 uh, voters. Uh, maybe they just have to keep coming until we get that final straw.
0: I think this this is hitting them more in the polls, Anthony, because there is not an election right now. And I mentioned off the top, right. people are often, you know, um, you know, pushed into a fearful position about the other party. Look, it's it's fairly it's patently obvious in Ontario and Quebec. Trudeau lost votes, but he didn't lose a ton of seats. He lost them out west, and right. the reason he did is is Andrew Scheer and and a lot of the social conservative policies. Kind of frightened voters that were stuck in the middle. They didn't, you know, they kind of held their nose and said, "I'll vote liberal again," but I'm not happy with a few with SNC labeling. I'm not happy with blackface. How could I be? But I, I'm too worried the other guys will be worse. As I said off the top.
2: Yeah, and I'll be curious to see what sort of attacks we see against either Peter McKay or Aaron O'Toole, whoever becomes leader, because Andrew Shearer is a social conservative. I mean, he he didn't say he was going to change gay marriage and all those things, but he didn't say uh, he wouldn't. <laughs> well, there's the stick onto it for all that. Well, he said he he was he accepted the status quo and that Mechano yeah. the tool, they're pretty much social liberals, of course, so you don't have that ammo, but are you still going to hear it anyway? Are you still going to hear stories that, you know, they're bad dudes as opposed to how their policies uh, are bad? And, you know, it remains to be seen because I, uh, I think anything's, uh, possible. There will certainly be character attacks on, on anyone because the Conservatives maybe think they're getting someone squeaky or clean with Peter McKay. Of course, he was uh, leader of the progressive Conservatives and all of that. But uh, I, I think that won't stop some people and the liberal campaign machine certainly from trying.
0: Fascinating chat. Love doing that. Uh, Anthony Fury uh, from uh, Sun Papers Post Media as well. Thanks for the time. Back to the wheelbarrow you go, I guess. Uh, you so got you it. say. Uh,
2: back to the gym, my friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if only, if only. Thank you very much. Anthony Fury from uh, the Toronto Sun. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Every day you'll see a new study. Um, there was a study today out of Germany, and it's a real sobering um, photograph, if you will, mental uh, mathematical photograph um, of, they examined the cardiac MRIs of 100 people who had recovered. Average age was 49. Two-thirds of the patients recovered at home. And more than two months later, Uh, 78 patients out of the 100 showed structural changes to their hearts. 76 showed evidence of a cardiac injury. That's typically found after a heart attack and the forties, as you well know, the forties are well too young to be worried about a heart attack. People do have them, but oftentimes it's an underlying condition. Yeah. Weight, obesity is a factor. History in the family is a factor. And 60 of those 100 had signs of inflammation. So why did all this start? to protect our most vulnerable people. And we can't be forgetting about them. Today, the province uh, will make an announcement. Doug Ford and Marilee Fullerton, uh, who's run the LTCs, who's come under tremendous, tremendous scrutiny, and many say rightly so. Uh, They'll both make a joint announcement at 1 o'clock today. We welcome the chief policy officer of the Canadian Association of Retired People. She's been on the show before, and she rejoins us now. Marissa Lennox uh, joins me on The Bill Kelly Show. Marissa, Greg Brady again, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, really good. What What are your um, expectations, I suppose, um, for 1 o'clock and what the province will say about this today?
3: Well, you know, up until now, we've heard nothing from the government, right? This commission was announced back in May, and it's been relative silence from them, um, with two, maybe two and a half days left in the month of July. so. Um, I expect to hear some details uh, around the timeline of this commission, who will lead the commission, the terms of reference for the commission, the date the work is expected to begin. I mean, I hope and I expect to hear this news this afternoon, but uh, I guess it's anyone's guess at this point.
0: Well, it's a weird thing with the news cycle too, and I'll I'll, I'll admit, um, oftentimes the news cycle gets criticized. We don't hang on to a to a story long enough. Uh, a, I'd say there's a ton happening. B, I, but I'd also say I don't think that this story's been forgotten. I mentioned there was an ad that was, uh, you know, a stark portrait of how horrific um the circumstances were for a lot of people in long-term care and retirement homes in in march and april uh it was like a 60 second black and white tv ad last night and it jarred my wife and myself as we were watching uh the newscast so i i hope it i hope it hasn't left people's minds despite that we're waking up every day going how am i getting through this one today in many circumstances
3: that's right i mean that's always the fear is that it falls off the radar right and mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we have been receiving a number of reports from different organizations. Even just last week, the Ontario Health Coalition released the results of a survey looking at staffing into long-term care, among other things, um, and found that, you know, 95% of people working in these homes said that they experienced staffing shortages, 53% reported shortages every single day. And, you know, it's interesting because when I read it, I thought, where do we go from here? You know, how many more damning reports do we need until we actually take action to protect residents? Uh, in long-term care. And so I am looking forward to the government this afternoon uh, making this announcement so that we have mm. some more
0: details. Marissa Lennox, our guest um, from the CARP. And the one thing, though, the the U.S. and many of the, the hot spots is not a template for, for us and, and our behavior and our conditions and our our, our politics, uh, to put it bluntly, but there is starting to grow more evidence um, that younger people are still infecting older people. If older family members are in shared homes, that seems to me the biggest concern about school, Marissa, in the fall is uh, I don't have anybody older. Th- I'm the oldest member of my household in my mid-40s, but there are people in the GTA and the Golden Horseshoe that have older people living with them. And then when we talk about LTCs and retirement homes, um, we want to get it back to normal to where they can see their family members and i don't know i I don't know that we're close to that right now that may be just a condition of how we're going to get through the next several months and i i hope our elderly can understand that but in many circumstances i get why they're asking questions about about whether they can do properly distance visits or, or not
3: that's right i mean one of the reasons ontario was so delayed in restarting its economy when other provinces B. started before us was because we couldn't get the deaths under control in long-term care. Um, and now they've, you know, created these very strict restrictions for people to go into these homes. And that's because there's such an enormous amount of fear, you know, given, you know, the death toll in these homes, you know, over 80, 80% of, of COVID deaths occurring in, in congregate settings. Um, So I think, you know, as we move forward, we need to remember that we have to be vigilant. Um, If you're younger and and you do have family members that are older, you need to make sure you take every precaution necessary to protect their lives. While everyone is equally at risk of Mm -hmm. getting COVID-19, we do know that the consequences can be more severe as we age because of, you know, various comorbidities. And um, if you're living in congregate settings, it just makes it that much worse.
0: Do you have um, continued confidence or a diminished confidence or no confidence in um, Lee Fullerton continuing in, in her duties um, as Minister of Long-Term Care?
3: I have no reason to question her ability to do what she does. Um, I, I don't actually blame this government mm-hmm. uh for all of the failures we've seen. I mean, the challenges that have occurred in long-term care are the result of years of neglect of this system. Um, so, you know, I think she's a qualified individual, and and I'd like to see her continue in that role. But, you know, there are a couple things that we will be looking at um, as we examine sort of the details of this commission um, and I know that she's sort of overseeing this process. So one of the things I think that's absolutely critical is that no one with a vested interest, I'm talking about the operators, be appointed to this commission. I think that has to be a completely impartial process um, and that's really necessary in order to create change. Um, I think that there also has to be public hearings and typically there may not be in a commission, but I, I understand Minister Fullerton has been clear mm-hmm. that they will be because otherwise you lose the ability to have public scrutiny so residents families even stakeholders have to be part of that process nothing can be behind closed doors and she will be held accountable for all of this
0: well you're right and and a couple layers of of, to peel back of 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 what you said right there that made me think of it yeah this has been going on since um the harris government made some sweeping changes i know my grandmother was affected by it so i remember it pretty damn well in the mid-90s but But to your point, subsequent liberal governments um, didn't change much about legislation, didn't change much about funding. I'll give you an example. Like three weeks ago, I saw a story and I I bookmarked it in my email that noted, here's the headline from the Globe and Mail. Doug Ford says he'll make air conditioning mandatory in Ontario's long-term care homes. How many Ontario adults do you think would have thought, well, it's not mandatory already? We don't have right. air condition. We're talking about air conditioning schools when kids go outside for recess and can play and, and don't have near the respiratory problems. We don't have mandatory air conditioning in LTCs. That was shocking to a lot of people.
3: It wasn't mandatory for long-term care homes to have sprinklers in them until I think it was January 1st, 2019, um, in the event of a fire. So there are so many things wrong with this system. And, and I'll say it again, you know, what we've seen in long-term care, it's not the fault of this government. Um, But the fault, I think, of successive governments, including this one, for their inaction. Um, And I would also add that, you know, launching the commission does not preclude this government from moving ahead with things that we already know. They can start to move forward on things around staffing, making sure, of course, that there are air conditioning units in these homes, especially in the middle of a heat wave, um, making sure that they have a strategy to uh, not only in, uh, invest in talent to bring them into this industry, to put, but to retain them. Um, so there are a number of things that I think that this government must move forward on. And those are the things that we know in spite of this commission moving forward.
0: I've had several conversations with people who differ on just the for-profit system. So what there, there are some that obviously feel it just—it's not sustainable. It doesn't work. And of all the things we shouldn't be farming out and and privatizing, it's one thing to do it with, uh, you know, our our telephone. It's one thing to do it with, uh, you know, with universities even. But this is the one thing we shouldn't be farming out. But there are those that believe that with proper oversight you can do this properly and the ones that that you know do it for profit marissa can you know can do a great job with it or obviously they wouldn't get very many customers how do you view it can we still do we ha- I, is it more the model that's broken or just the maintenance of that model
3: so you know this is one of the things that the commission has to look at.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and, and and that is the question around for-profit versus not-for-profit and municipal. Because we've seen the reports, and there have been many, which show that for-profit homes performed significantly poorer than not-for-profit or municipal homes. Um, and, and those studies, by the way, are consistent with previous studies that predate COVID from around the world. Um, and you can see why that might be. Because if someone's trying to turn a profit... Um, then they'll look at their budget and what's among the biggest budget line items? It's staffing. And so that's often the first thing that will get cut. So these things we know to be true. But if you were to create a set of very basic national standards, you're regardless of the postal code you live in, that was, you know, a, 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 a complete mix of appropriate staff for the residents. That includes not just PSWs who, by the way, do 95% of the work in these homes, but more registered nurses, LPN, so on and so forth, and you make it appropriate for the residents and you had that standard in place, then a for-profit home couldn't circumvent it. What you might see, actually, is a lot of for-profits leave this space. Um, But I don't know what you would do with the existing for-profit operators. And there have been some for- for-profit homes that have done very well for their residents.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's such an important issue, and and so yeah, I, I'm glad you took the time to talk about it with uh, with me, I, Marissa. I say this without being glib. We're all going to be there eventually, and that that old proverb, "Do unto others as, as you'd want done to you." Mm-hmm. We got to think about that. We got to think about that very seriously and very. It's one of the most important things we can do because it's going to affect it's going to affect how, how we get treated in our 70s and 80s. It just is.
3: I couldn't agree more.
0: And we're not in our seventies and eighties. We got a life, a lot of life left in us. I want to point that out. A
3: you. lot of life, and, <laughs> and the fastest growing generation, as a percentage of that population, is centenarians. Okay, so we're all getting older, and we'll all get there one day.
0: That's the that's the truth. Marissa, thanks again for the time. Take care, Marissa Lennox, chief policy officer for uh, the Canadian Association of retired people. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from nine to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Greg Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.